Amen. Well, Psalm 57, um, on Wednesday night, uh, the high school and myself were uh, actually studying through the book of 1 Samuel, and so we're taking a look, a close look at the lives of um, Samuel and King Saul and King David and, uh, you know, their successes, their failures, and just how are these things um, instructive for us in our walk with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about how these things were written for our instruction, right? Um, Well, Psalm 57 was written during a pretty stressful time in David's life. Um, If you take a look there, before verse 1, there's kind of a title section, and it says this, to the chief musician... Set to do not destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. So it says to the chief musician. So um, apparently he got this song uh, to the chief musician after this time in his life. Set to do not destroy. This was probably a tune that David had written this to that they could sing um, along with. A miktam. We're not sure what this was. It was probably just a poem, um, a particular style of song. But what I want to draw your attention to here is it says that this was written by David when what? When he fled from Saul into the cave. And so um, just a a quick history. I I bet probably vast majority of us are familiar with the life of David and Saul and what took place there. But um, just a, a quick overview to catch you up to what's taking place in David's life during this time. So David and Saul had already had a bit of history together. Um, Saul was anointed by Samuel as king of Israel back in 1 Samuel chapter 9, um, and he reigned for a good while. Was Saul a good king or a bad king? Yeah, I don't know. He wasn't great, was he? It's like he was... He did some okay things, but for the vast majority of his time reigning, he was actually a pretty bad king, right? He did some pretty um, wicked stuff, right? Mostly bad. In fact, after a few years of Saul reigning, um, because of his disobedience, the Lord actually tells him, I'm rejecting you from being king of Israel, and I'm going to what? I'm going to seek and and find what? A, A man after my own heart to rule and reign. I'm going to find a new king, right? Um, And so here enters David. And uh, David is eventually anointed by Samuel to be the next king. He doesn't actually become um, king until years later. Um, However, through a series of events, um, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, David eventually uh, becomes Saul's personal musician. He very famously kills the giant Goliath. He becomes Saul's armor bearer and begins to serve um, in a place of authority over the army. But something really interesting takes place after David kills Goliath. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it says this, This is verses 6 through 9 of 1 Samuel 18. Now it happened as they were coming home, that is from the battle, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. 
Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. So this interesting thing takes place. David kills the giant, right? Um, and then he's given all of this credit, and he says, David slain his ten thousands, but Saul only his thousands. And so this begins a... Uh, a very long string of jealousy in the life of Saul um, toward David. Their relationship from that day forward became very tenuous, very, uh, very tense, right? Um, Saul becomes super jealous. He even tries to kill David on a number of times. I think it was that day um, or maybe the next day, Saul tried to pin David to a wall. And after a few years of um, Saul uh, having a lot of attempts on David's life, whether by his own hand or through ordering other people to do so, David ends up fleeing from the palace, um, and he eventually finds himself hiding out in a cave with a ragtag group of rebels. And so this is where David um, is as he's writing this psalm. He's running for his life. He's running from a man who... um, Man, he could have and should have been able to look to him as a father figure. Maybe he did at one point in his life, and yet he's running from his life because Saul is trying to kill him. I love this psalm and other psalms like it because it's like you kind of get to read a page out of David's journal, right? Like what, what's taking place in David's heart? What's taking place in his mind um, as he's experiencing these tremendous trials? Or there's other psalms where it's like he's experiencing tremendous successes and victories, but What's happening here? And remember, in all of this, David was the innocent party, wasn't he? He didn't do anything wrong, and yet he was chased out of his home. Um, His life was constantly threatened, and he was hiding out in a cave. And what was his reaction to that? Well, check this out. Starting here in verse 1, verses 1 through 3, we're going to see that that David prays. David seeks the Lord. He's praying to God Most High. He says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful. For my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And actually I'll just continue, we'll read this whole thing. Verse 4, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake the lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. What do we see from David's life? What do we see his heart was during this time Um, as, man, this is super stressful, right? Uh, uh, Very serious trial. His life is in danger. And what is the one thing that you see coming from his heart? He has an attitude of worship. 
He has an attitude of praise. He has an attitude of casting his thoughts and his mind not on the trial that's directly in front of him, not on the thing that's right up in front of his face, but casting his mind upon the Lord, declaring his goodness, declaring his mercy, worshiping him. And so in verses 1 through 3, we see here... um, David just begins to pray to the Lord, and he says there in verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. My soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. He says, Lord, have mercy. Lord, be merciful to me. I'm I'm putting all of my trust in you, putting all of my dependence upon you. Um, In the shadow of your wings, I take refuge. Like, what a, a sweet picture of David's relationship with the Lord. He's like, Lord, I just want to be close to your heart. I want to be protected by your wings, Lord. Would you just draw me in? David was running to the Lord for a sense of refuge, for a sense of safety, and for his security. No one else. Nothing else. He's saying, Lord, be merciful to me. He wasn't calling out to Saul. Saul, be merciful to me. No, it's Lord, have mercy on me right? Um, he was saying, Lord, I'm tr- my soul trusts in you. It's, he's not saying, I'm trusting in these group of men who have banded themselves together to try to protect me. No, my soul trusts in the Lord alone. He says, Lord, I'm taking refuge under your wings, not the refuge of this cave. Like, that's not even a great refuge. He says, Lord, under your wings, I take refuge. The Lord was the one whom David was putting all of his trust in. It was the Lord. It doesn't matter what type of season of life you find yourself in. Man, this should always be our heart. We're running to the Lord. We're running to the Lord for our sense of safety, for our sense of of refuge, for our security. It doesn't matter what it is, the good times and especially the bad times. This this has to be the case, right? David had the right attitude, didn't he? Um, You know, it wasn't too long before this that it actually appears that David had a lapse of faith. If you look at 1 Samuel um, chapter 21, uh, it speaks of uh, how, well, actually in 1 Samuel 20, it speaks of how David had to flee the palace, right? Because Saul was trying to kill him. And then in 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 3, it says this about David, that he came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone? So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. It's interesting. Through this interaction with the priest, um, the, this priest Ahimelech and Uh, many other priests actually get killed because um, Saul finds out that they gave David provisions. But was David telling the truth here? No. He was telling a bold-faced lie, wasn't he? Um, He was, uh, I don't know what his motivation was. I'm sure that, you know, a lot of it we could probably understand. I'm sure that he was afraid, right? I'm sure that he was trying to just preserve his life. Maybe he was was angry, right? Um, Ultimately, I think, The reason why David did this, though, was a lack of faith. He wasn't, as he says here in Psalm 57, trusting the Lord. He wasn't trusting that the Lord was going to protect him. And so what does he do? 
He takes matters into his own hands. Um, he schemes. He, he tries to solve an issue on his own, um, which winds up actually getting people killed. Um, and David later really feels this because a, a priest, um, uh, Abiathar, escapes and he goes to David and he tells him what happened. And David is like, oh, it's my fault. Like, I shouldn't have done that, right? Um, and so David, I don't think in that situation, he, he had a lapse of faith, right? He was, he was not trusting the Lord. Was the situation dire? Yeah, it was. Was he in need? Yeah, of course he was in need, right? He needed help. But at what cost? At the cost of walking in sin? Uh, at the cost of compromising his convictions um, and his faith? Listen, David was allowing his fear to overtake his faith. And when you allow your fear to overtake your faith, you're going to do pretty much anything to try to preserve yourself. You're going to do pretty much anything in your power to try to make sure that, that uh, you know, you, you are preserving uh, your life or whatever it is. We should never allow our circumstances to compromise our faith. We should never allow the, the difficult situations that we find ourselves in um, to cause us to walk in sin. Have faith in the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust that he's good. Trust that he's kind. Trust that he has plans for you even in the midst of your darkest, deepest trials. Even when things are terrible, the Lord has a plan for your life and we don't ever have an excuse um, to walk in a, in a sinful way, right? You don't need to scheme to try to figure out your situation. You don't need to try to manipulate people. You don't need to try to, um, you know, to lie. You don't have to figure everything out. Trust the Lord. Trust that the Lord is going to deliver you, right? I once heard this uh, phrase, and it always stuck with me, and I forget who said it, but it said something along the lines of, a life that's lived by faith is a life lived without scheming. Let me say that one more time. A life that's lived by faith is a life that's lived without scheming. If you ever find yourself, or if I find myself, because we're all susceptible to this, where I feel like I need to scheme, or I, I need to manipulate, or I need to lie to get myself out of a situation, or to make things go a certain way, I can know in that moment, I'm not living by faith. Maybe I'm acting out of fear. Maybe I'm acting out of anger. I don't know. You can fill in the blank, right? But a life that's lived by faith is a life that's lived without scheming. It seems that David eventually learned this lesson because here he is in this cave and he calls out to the Lord and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. I hide underneath your shadows and the shadow of your wing and I trust you. I trust you, Lord. It's like he's saying, Lord, only you can, can help. I can't help this situation. I can't scheme my way out of this. Lord, I need you. You're my only hope. Please be merciful. All I can do is to trust you. Proverbs 3.5 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with everything that you have. Trust the Lord with all your heart, even when the circumstances of your life don't make sense. Trust him. Trust that he has a plan. Trust that he's good. Trust that he has the power to, yes, to deliver you from that trial, but trust that he has the power to deliver you through the trial, right? Trust the Lord with all your heart, he says. You know, we normally don't have a problem 
in trusting the Lord with salvation, right? This is, we've all, if you're a believer, you've come to that place where you've said, Lord, I trust you. Um, I trust you to save me. I trust that you're enough, Lord. Um, we're saved by, by grace through faith, but I think that sometimes we do have a problem trusting the Lord with our life. Sometimes we do have a problem trusting the Lord when circumstances um, become hard. Sometimes we have a problem trusting the Lord when we're like really questioning our future or our finances or, or whatever it may be. It says there in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with every ounce of your being, that there wouldn't be an area of your life that is lacking trust, that is lacking a, a full-on trust in the Lord, trusting him in the good, trusting him in the hard, right? Then he also says there in Proverbs 3, 5, and, and lean not on your own understanding, don't lean on your own understanding. Um, that word lean, it, it literally means to put your full weight upon something, right? Um, have you ever put your weight upon something and then it broke? Anybody? Okay, yeah, I think some of us. What happens? You, you fall to the ground, right? Or have you ever like been leaning on somebody and then they just move immediately? Well, you, you fall over, right? That's not a good friend, is it? Um, and so that's what that means. He says don't lean on your own understanding, don't lean on, on what you think you know, right? Do what? Lean upon the Lord. Lean on the Lord. Don't rest on your own understanding. If you do, you're setting yourself up to fail. There's going to be times and circumstances and situations in your life that we don't understand why it's taking place. Lean on the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own strength or your own cleverness. You know, for David here, he's in this cave. It's, it's estimated that he was on the run from Saul for probably 10 years before he took the throne. So this is pretty much just the start of it, right? 10 years ahead of him. Would you call that a trial? Oh, yeah. It's a pretty big trial, right? 10 years without a home. 10 years without the promise of God being a reality in your life, right? He had the promise that he was going to be king. It didn't take place for a really long time though, right? 10 years of fleeing for his life, and yet we see the Lord had a plan for him all along, didn't he? The Lord was preparing him. The Lord was shaping David to be the kind of man, the kind of king, the kind of worshiper that was needed for Israel. And here he is in the cave running for his life before the deliverance takes place. And he says to the Lord, what? I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Even though deliverance isn't mine yet. I trust you even though I don't understand why this is taking place. I trust you, Lord, even though the promise that you've given to me seems so far away, I trust you. I put my whole trust, my whole hope into you. Man, let's learn from the life of David. Let's learn from this man, both the successes and the failures, right? He had that, that lapse of faith. David certainly wasn't a perfect man, but listen, if you find yourself in a position where you feel like you need to scheme or to lie or to compromise your faith, you can know you're not trusting the Lord. You don't, you're not having faith. The Lord isn't going to have you sin to bring about his will for your life. That's not how it works. 
wait upon the Lord, see his deliverance, learn from the life of David. Scheming is only going to bring compromise. Trust in him, lean into him. And so David says there in verse 1, Lord, hide me under the shadow of your wings. I trust in you. In verses 2 and 3 here, he's, he calls out to the Lord um, to hear him and to help him. He says, I'll, I cry out, or I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. He says, I will cry out to who? To God most high. It's like David is saying, I'm calling out to the highest authority. Right? Saul is chasing me all around Israel. He is the authority um, over this nation. But I'm calling out to somebody higher. I'm calling out to who? God most high. David felt secure because this is the one who he was calling out to, right? He was calling out to the one who was over all. You can't go higher than the Lord. When we pray and when we seek the Lord and when we call out to him, we are calling out to who? God most high. The one who has the ultimate authority. The one who has the power to say your trial is done. You can get out of it. The one who has the, the power to give you the strength to endure, to walk through your situation, your circumstance. There's no one greater than he is. There's no one higher. And it is worth our time and devotion and commitment to cry out to God most high. He's the one who has the authority. And he's not just some distant authority, right? It's not like the president where I don't think any of us can have the president's ear at a, you know, just any notice. Like I can't call up the president today and be like, hey, Joe, you know, like what's going on? Can I give you some advice here? Or maybe you could help me out in this situation. Like I can't do that. I can cry out to the Lord though. I can call out to the one who is a higher authority, the one who can actually help in my circumstances and situations, right? He's not distant. Remember, David just said, Lord, I'm hiding underneath your wing. Like, I'm so close to your heart. Lord, you're wrapping me, you're wrapping me up in your arms. You're wrapping me up in your wings. That's how close the Lord is. He's the one who cares. He's the one who loves. David says, I will cry out to God most high, to God who what? Who performs all things for me. David had the expectation that when he called out upon the Lord, the Lord moved on his behalf. The Lord moved on his behalf. He says, the Lord does all things for me. The Lord answers when he's called upon. First Peter 5, verses 6 through 7 exhorts us to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Where to what? Cast your care upon him under, and humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What does he say? He says that the Lord didn't even spare his own son. He delivered Jesus up for us. How shall he not also give us all things? 
How shall he not also answer us when we call upon him? Those who have been redeemed and purchased by his blood, how shall he not answer us when we call upon him? Run to the Lord most high. But you know, it's so tempting. So tempting to run to other things, isn't it? It's tempting to to put our trust in another person or in what, you know, what the experts have to say or um, trying to run to something else to maybe escape the feelings that you have or the, the anxieties or I don't know. But it's easy to run to other things, isn't it? I know that I've done this a lot in my life where um, I try to find refuge, I try to find solace and comfort in something that's just, maybe it's not terrible, but it's not the best thing, right? It's not, it's not the highest authority. It's not God most high. Listen, run to the Lord with all your problems, with all your cares, with all of your anxieties, with, with every fear that you have. Trust in the Lord most high. Trust in him. Cry out to him. Because why? Well, he hears and he answers from heaven. Verse 3, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. What's David saying? I know the Lord hears me, and he doesn't just hear me, but he answers me when I call. This is the Lord. This is the Lord most high. Cry out to him, and he answers from heaven. And listen, when the Lord answers, sometimes it's not going to be the answer that we hope for. Sometimes he's not going to answer it exactly um, the way that we would desire. And then that comes back to, and I trust you. <laughs> I trust you. I trust you with, with the result of this situation and this circumstance. I trust you even when I'm in the midst of the cave, right? I trust you. I trust your deliverance. Verses four through six, David kind of shifts his focus a little bit and he begins to describe um, his attackers and kind of the calamity that's taking place in his life. He says, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. The ESV actually, I like the way it says it. I lie down amid fiery beasts, right? He's just describing the people who are persecuting him. Their teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit for me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. What's David saying here? There's danger on every side. Everywhere I turn, every step I take, there's somebody here who's trying to kill me. My soul is among lions, right? I lie down amid the fiery beasts. Their teeth are spears, right? They, they hurl insults and lies, right? David's name was being um, slandered. Their tongue is a sharp sword. Verse six, they, they're trying to kill me. They've prepared a net for my steps, right? My soul is bowed down. What's that? I'm discouraged. I'm depressed a little bit, right? Um, I, I'm afraid because they are trying to kill me. Everywhere I go, every turn I take, there's, there's another trial. There's another, um, there's another lion. They've dug a pit for me, and into the midst they've fallen down, right? As you read 1 Samuel, 
Really beginning in chapter 18, you can see that David was not exaggerating or being dramatic at all, (laughs) right? Um, Saul had tried to pin David to a wall with a spear twice. Uh, David had to flee from his presence. Saul was continually conspiring to kill David by the Philistines. Um, And he even at one point ordered his servants to kill him, right? In chapter 19, Saul sends people to kill David in his own bed. David flees to Gath, and there's danger there as well. Uh, David finds a bit of refuge in the cave um, there in chapter 22, but this period of his life, that's even short-lived. He flees again. He's betrayed continually. And so when David says, my soul is among lions, they've prepared a net for my steps, he's not just exaggerating. He's not being dramatic. This was a reality for him. But I want you to notice that even in the midst of his, um, I guess, just contemplating this and thinking about it, look at verse 5. Right in the middle of his description of these people, he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. It's like he's saying, yeah, they're after me, but I'm going to turn my heart to the Lord. I'm going to turn my heart to focus Jesus, to to focus God most high, right? Um, And he continues this thought as he moves into verses 7 through 11. He says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing praise, or I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. You know, David has spent the majority of his time in this psalm um, crying out to the Lord for help, right? Um, He's spent some time there uh, in verses four through six just kind of reflecting on, yeah, they're all after me. They're all trying to kill me. But he spends these last five verses doing what? He's just worshiping, isn't he? He's just praising the Lord, right? Um, His focus and his attention is on giving praise to God Most High. What's the takeaway? The takeaway is this. doesn't matter what's going on in your life. doesn't matter um, if it's going great or if it's going really bad. The Lord is still deserving of praise. The Lord is still worthy of praise no matter what situation, no matter what tragedy has touched you, no matter what affliction is in your life. We serve the Most High God, and there is glory that's due His name. This is what it says in a a number of times in the Psalms. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due to His name. What does that mean? Well, that means that there is is worship and praise from your life personally and my life personally. There is worship that is due from us unto the Lord. Worship and praise. Yes, absolutely. And David's going to sing about, you know, or talk about singing and and giving praise and and song. And and this is beautiful. This is worship. But you know, um, even beyond that, in Romans chapter 12, let me turn there really quick. Paul tells us what our act of worship should look like. He says this, I beseech you, this is Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's another translation that says, which is your reasonable act of worship. That everything in your life and my life would be devoted to the Lord, would be set apart as holy unto the Lord. You know, when they were erecting the the tabernacle and the temple, they had certain articles and different things, and they would say, consecrate this to the Lord. It's holy unto the Lord. Uh, Meaning, this can only be used for the Lord's service. It can't be used for anything else. That's you. That's me. Holy unto the Lord. Consecrated to the Lord. A what? A living sacrifice. And this is your reasonable act of worship. This isn't some um, far-fetched thing that that the Lord is trying to bring about. It's not something that's unfair. No, in light of all that he's done for me, this is reasonable. This is like, what else could I do? Why else would I be anything but a living sacrifice, but a, a, a walking testimony of the goodness of our God? A living sacrifice, he says. You know that, that phrase, living sacrifice, it's, it's an interesting, um, I guess it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because when in the Old Testament you would sacrifice something, you would take your, your cute little innocent lamb that was adorable and totally innocent, and what would you do to it? You'd kill it, right? It, it wasn't a living sacrifice, it was a dead sacrifice after you got through with it. But Paul says here, you are not that. You are a living sacrifice, meaning everything in your life as you live your life day to day, is consecrated and set apart to the Lord as holy. Set apart to him as holy, that you would worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and give unto the Lord the glory that is due to his name. No matter what is going on in your life, the Lord is still worthy. The Lord is still worthy, and it is so good to always worship the Lord And especially when you're in the midst of a fiery trial, especially when you find yourself in the cave like David found himself in, right? Because why? Well, not only is the Lord deserving of it, but it reminds us of a really great truth. And that is that we serve the Most High God, right? It reminds us when we worship the Lord, I don't know about you, but when we worship the Lord this evening, I was just reminded, yes, Lord, you're holy, right? You're worthy. Like, I've been studying this all day long, and it just, it washed afresh over me, like, Lord, this is true. You are worthy of it all. Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are sitting on your throne. It reminds us who the Lord is, and you allow the Lord to be bigger in your eyes than maybe those things that are making you afraid. Now, the Lord is bigger than those, but you're allowing your view of him to match up with reality, Right? Because if I'm worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness and giving him the glory that is, that is due to his name, I'm not going to be so concerned with all of those things that are, um, you know, hounding me and making me afraid and confronting me and um, that's causing me to be anxious, right? I'm going to be concerned about the Lord. I'm going to be concerned about giving to him a holy sacrifice because he's worthy of it. Listen, don't allow your fear... Don't allow your trials. Don't allow that cave that you're in, right? To be bigger in your eyes than the Lord is. 
And how do you allow these things to, to become their appropriate size? You worship. Be a worshiper. You worship the Lord um, with everything that you have. He is the most high God. He answers from heaven. No matter what happens, he's deserving of praise. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that every single trial that you walk through, you're going to be delivered from just exactly how you hope to be. I'm not going to tell you that, but do you know what I'm going to tell you? The Lord is worthy of your worship. And we have an eternal hope in the heavens where we're not going to have to worry about all of the things that are plaguing us, right? Second Corinthians chapter five, I think it, chapter four, I think it says, yeah, chapter four, it says that, um, you know, these momentary light afflictions are working for us in eternal weight of glory reserved for you in heaven. These momentary things, they're working for us in eternal weight of glory, And so, yeah, I can look past it. I can look past the hardships of this life. Um, I can can worship the Lord, and not only because he's deserving of it, which would be enough, right? But I can worship the Lord also knowing, I'm going to be with him in heaven. And we're going to be singing that song that we just sang, Lord, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Allow your problems to become their appropriate size when you think about the vastness of the Most High God. He says there in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Another translation says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart's fixed on you. My heart is fixed on giving you praise. What's that? My heart is firm. My heart... My heart is set on you. My heart is ready to worship you. I have purposed in my heart to give you praise. And isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thing? David's circumstances didn't change, did they? He was still in the cave. He was going to be running for his life for at least another 10 years. Um, and yet there he is in the cave and he's saying, Lord, I'm going to fix my heart on you to worship you. Our hearts, more than anything else, should be to give the Lord glory and praise. Lord, may glory be unto your name through what I walk through. Lord, may glory be unto you um, as I walk through this life. Trials, no trials, but may the name of Jesus be praised. May the name of the Lord be worshipped. You know, as we're thinking about trials, I, I once heard somebody say that it takes more faith to walk through a trial than to just be delivered from it. Have you guys ever heard that before? Sometimes it takes more faith to walk through it to the end than to be completely delivered from that trial. Wouldn't it be nice if, like the moment that we step into a trial, the Lord's like, nope, we're not going to do that, <laughs> right? Like so often we're like, yeah, Lord, I wish that that was the case. <laughs> you know, I wish that, that you would do that, but that's not what happens, And it's in the trial that the Lord refines us. It's in the trial that the Lord draws us to himself. It's in the trial that the Lord reveals himself to us in such a way that we would have never learned about him from that viewpoint had we not walked through the valley, had we not been stuck in the cave. This is true of David's life. We know that the Lord used this time to um, refine him. The Lord used this time to... uh, 
turn him into a better worshiper, to prepare him to be a king. I don't know how many psalms were written out of this time in David's life, and here we are reaping the benefits of it today. We don't know how the Lord is going to use these things. It takes more faith sometimes to walk through it than to simply be delivered from it. And what is your heart when you're in the cave? What's your heart when you're, when you're in the midst of hard circumstances? Be like David. He says, my heart is steadfast. My heart is fixed on you, Lord. My heart is, is set and ready to worship you come what may. I'm going to be a worshiper. No matter what happens, Lord, receive the glory that is due to your name through my life. That's what I want for my life. You know, there was a time for Megan and I when we were, Megan's my wife, by the way, we were um, just walking through a pretty intense trial and um, really uh, was difficult. There was, uh, yeah, just many layers to it. And um, I remember one day I was watching this sermon and this trial was like just right up front in our face all the time. And I was watching this sermon and I was just like thinking, Lord, I want to be delivered from this. Like, I, I want to be done with it. I'm ready to be finished with it, you know? And I was watching the sermon. I don't even remember what it was about. I do remember it was Pastor Chuck Smith um, in his slow drawl, right? And um, I wasn't even anything that he said, but I just so remember the Lord pressed on my heart. Um, and he said just softly, like, what if walking through that trial would bring me the most glory? What if walking through that trial would bring me the most glory? And I was like, what if? <laughs> you know, like, I certainly think that you would receive glory if I wasn't in the trial, you know? Um, but it just broke me. It broke me, and I was like, you're right, Lord. Like, I've been, I've had a wrong focus. I've been so focused on this thing that's in front of my face and I haven't been looking beyond to the most high God. And this trial has become bigger in my eyes than you have. And there was a time of brokenness for us both and just a time of um, repentance and a time of allowing our eyes to be reset upon the Lord and say, Lord, okay, well, if, if you want to receive glory from this trial then so be it. That's why I'm here. I'm not here for me. I'm not here for my own agenda. I'm not here to fulfill my own dreams. I'm not here for any other reason than to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord, which is my reasonable service. And if you're going to receive the most glory from this trial, so be it. Receive the glory then. Receive the glory. My heart is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. I will sing to you. I will praise you. Use the hardships in your life as an excuse to worship Jesus. Use the trial that you've been facing as an excuse to express your utmost trust in the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm facing this thing. I don't get it, but I trust you. Lord, I'm in the cave. I don't know why. I didn't do anything wrong, but I trust you, Lord. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. I cast myself upon you, Lord. What else could I do? What else could I do but this? You know, we sing that song, um, set my heart, and I've set my heart on you, and you have every part of me. I love the bridge of that song where it says, nothing will ever break me or ever slay me. 
All my hope is in you. Nothing will ever shake me, overtake me. All my hope is in you. He says, nothing's ever going to break me. Nothing's ever going to slay me. Nothing's ever going to shake me or overtake me. Why? Because I'm putting my eyes beyond the things of this earth and placing them on God most high. And if that's the case, then, okay, well, what can be done to me in this lifetime? I feel like Paul. He's like, what, what can man do to me? If God's for me, what can man do to me, you know? Um, nothing will ever break me. I, I think if, uh, you know, a person who's not a Christian would hear us say that, like, yeah, nothing's going to break me. Nothing's going to overtake me. It's not going to shake me. Like, you could think, like, well, that's really prideful. Like, that's a really arrogant thing to say, but it's not. Because we're not standing upon my own. I'm not standing on my own strength. I'm not standing in my own cleverness or anything like that. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in Jesus. And if it's in Jesus, those things are true because he is way more strong and way more capable than I ever could be. And so I will be steadfast in my worship. My heart will be steadfast. My heart will be fixed upon the Lord and worshiping him. Verse 8, he says, Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I love that phrase. I will awaken the dawn. It's like he's saying, I'm going to start each day with a song of praise. I'm going to start each day committing myself afresh to be a worshiper, to worship the Lord. Come what may, doesn't matter what takes place. I will awaken the dawn. And if you notice in verses 9 through 10, David didn't intend for his worship to be something that's private. He says in verse 9, I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations, for your mercy has reached unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. It's like he's saying, in light of who you are, Lord, the fact that you are merciful and your mercy reaches the heavens, the fact that your truth reaches to the clouds, I want the whole world to see the fact that I'm yours. And that I'm a worshiper. And that I, I'm, a, I'm a sacrifice unto your name, declaring his great worth even among the nations. For the time that this was written, the nations, you, you could say Gentiles, right? Those who, in the eyes of a Jew, were, were despised. But David says, I'm going to worship the Lord so that way they see. That way they see who this is, that he is God most high. David did not intend for his worship to be something private. You hear that all the time, don't you? Like, oh, well, my faith is my faith and I keep it to myself. Okay, I mean, you can do that. That's not the intent, though. That's not the intent, though. David says, I'm going to worship so people see the fact that I worship God most high. So that people see um, the nations, the peoples, that people can see that his mercy reaches to the heavens and his truth unto the clouds. And he ends there with verse 11. It's actually a repeat of verse 5. And he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above the earth. He says, Be exalted. Be, be high and lifted up. Let your glory be above the earth. His main concern was, Lord, you be glorified. Lord, you be magnified. Um, I love, he doesn't even end it with a, with a prayer like, and by the way, please deliver me. You know, he's like, Lord, you just be, you be lifted high. You be glorified, O Lord. And so we see in this verse, 
verses one through three, David cries out to the Lord, right? Um, calling on the Lord to hear him, reminding himself of who he is. Verses four through six, he's kind of just describing those um, persecutors that he has. And then in verses seven through 11, um, man, he's just worshiping the Lord, isn't he? And I love kind of the layout of that psalm, right? David's got some issues, right? But he's surrounding his problems with seeking the face of God and worshiping him, right? So there in the middle, you've got David saying, yeah, they're, I've got, they're like lions surrounding me, right? Um, my soul is among lions. Uh, their teeth are spears and arrows. They've prepared a net for my steps. But before and after that, he's calling on the Lord and he's worshiping, right? He's allowing the Lord to be intricately involved in the affairs of his life. He's not He's not just pretending that his problems don't exist. He's, he's making it clear, yeah, they're there, they're real, but he had a proper perspective because he was going to the Lord. He was going to the Lord to seek him and to petition him, and he spent so much time just worshiping the Lord. And I don't know where, where everybody's at here in this room. I, I can imagine that we're each facing different circumstances in our life. Maybe some of you are like, life is great. Nothing's going wrong. No trials. Um, and we say, awesome. <laughs> More power to you. Get ready, right? And some of us are, are, are in the cave. And I think no matter where we are at, let us take every opportunity to seek the face of God Most High, the one who has all authority and all power, and to cry out and cast your cares upon him. This is what we're encouraged to do. Cast your cares upon not just a, a, a you know, earthly ruler, but on the sovereign one, God most high. Give yourself over to him and worship him. Allow your view of the Lord um, to just continue to grow to be bigger and bigger and allow the problems that you face in this life and the afflictions and hardships and, and you name it, as you view the Lord, allow those things to, to take their appropriate size. These light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, that you are so near. Lord, who are we that God most high would be near to us. Who are we that, that we could, could say of the one who is sovereign and holy and has all power and control, who are we that we could say, and I'm resting under the shadow of his wings. That's how close I am to him. I'm so near to his heart. And he's my refuge and he protects me. Lord, I thank you so much for this and I just pray that we each would be... Um, that living sacrifice, Lord, that, that sacrifice that is, is a, a reasonable act of worship that is so pleasing to you, Lord, that we would awaken the dawn with our praise. So Jesus, would you go before us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Give us a, a fresh heart to be worshipers, Lord. I'll just give you a moment here to respond to the Lord. Maybe there's a trial that you're facing that has just been all-encompassing um, that is skewing your view of the Lord. Man, set that right in this moment.
There's nothing bigger than God Most High. There's, there's no power that's greater than him. There's no circumstance that's um, too difficult for him. I have to say, no matter where you're at, just submit yourself afresh to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you no matter what happens. I trust you if I'm delivered, if I'm not delivered. All I care about, Lord, is that you would receive glory from my life.